Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney, and I'm coming to you solo this episode 42 because we're reviewing Wonder Egg Priority and Carl hasn't watched this anime. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. I'm looking forward to today's discussion because this review is hot off the presses. I just finished the Wonder Egg Priority special episode probably about an hour ago. I jotted down my thoughts, um, kind of took some time to absorb what it was that I watched. Um, for those of you, you know, I assume everyone listening has watched the special. If not, go watch it before you listen to this podcast episode because I have some uh, some pretty raw, um, you know, hard feelings about what I watched and how they finished the show. But before I get into that, I do want to mention something really quick, um, something exciting that we wanted to share. Uh, obviously, Carl's not in this episode, but I'm speaking for on his behalf as well. We were recently guests on Anime Headliners podcast. We joined Steve and F.A. to discuss one of our favorite JoJo's, specifically my favorite JoJo, Joseph Joestar. We talked about all sorts of things. I mean, broke down everything about Joseph from parts two, three, four, and anything else um, that has to do with him. So it was a great discussion. And for those of you who also listen to our other podcast, Strictly JoJo, which is all about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you know how much I love Joseph. You know he holds a special place in my heart. We're currently going through our review series on Battle Tendency Part 2, so it was perfect um, the way all of this kind of worked out. So if you're interested in hearing our conversation with anime headliners, check out episode 37. They're on YouTube as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast services. So again, that's episode 37 of Anime Headliners. So back to Wonder Egg Priority. Let's get into this because there's, as always, a lot I want to say. Um, and I'm going to have a tough time with this this uh, review because there's going to be so many highs. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of lows as well. Um, I will say I went into this anime blind, like really blind. I just saw the key visuals and that was enough to capture my attention. That in the title. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to read anything about it. I'm just going to go into this one. And so I did. And I think a lot of people probably went into it blind as well because this is an original anime. I don't think there's any, you know, light novel or other manga content out there. This truly is an original anime. So it was kind of fun to go through the ride with uh, the the other fans, I guess, watching the show, not knowing what was going to happen, speculating. Like, it truly was kind of like a new experience for everyone. And I'll say, they immediately got my attention with the first episode. Like, I wanted to see more right after that first episode ended. And that's how you know that this is going to be something special. Because I find that, you know, even some of the best anime out there still kind of have a slow start. You know, you got to get past the second, third, even fourth episode for things to really kind of grab you and, and kind of hold your attention. But man, something about this was just so weird, so different, so mysterious from the get-go that I was like, I need to finish this series. I need to see what happens. I don't, I'm so confused. I just, I need to know what's going on. And honestly, every week that I watched this anime, I had the same reaction by the end of the episode. I was like, what? the fuck is happening? What in the goddamn fuck did I just watch? But in a good way, like it just, it was so captivating. It was so interesting. And I love that they just didn't dump everything on you all at once. They really kind of kept that mystery going and just left you with little breadcrumbs, little world building pieces each and every episode. So I'm going to break things down like I always do. I think we're going to talk characters first. Um, we'll dive a little bit into, um, you know, probably story and plot. I'll talk about that really peppered throughout this review, I'm sure. Um, we'll touch on visuals and soundtrack. Probably talk a little bit about the production issues, which, um, you know, if you're not familiar with, that's kind of what caused some of the downfall of this show. And at the very end, I want to save this special episode that I just watched for the very end of this discussion because, um, yeah, again, hot takes all around. So let's start off with the main, main character, Oto Ai. I adore her character. I think she is probably one of the most mysterious characters. I mean, after watching the special, I guess you could say Nehru is probably the most mysterious character, but I really is in this shell all the time. And so it took a while, you know, no, no pun intended with the eggs, but like it took a while for us to kind of chip away at her shell to get to know a little bit more about her. And not only her as herself, but the things going on around her are also equally mysterious, like how she doesn't know enough about her best friend Koito and kind of all the things that happened with her and why she killed herself. 
she doesn't know what's going on with her teacher and her mom and like is her teacher a fucking creeper or is he actually a decent guy who knows so there's a lot with i that i think is um just rooted in mystery she's just as confused as we are as the viewer but i really enjoyed seeing her character grow throughout this show I goes from having no friends to having a friend who then she loses anyway because she kills herself and then goes to having four friends, not four friends, three friends that are really, really close to her and have a special bond through these eggs. And I think by the end of the show, we see a lot of growth, like I's growth just kind of skyrockets. You have that episode where I don't know. She's going to go confess to her teacher. I mean, that whole thing was kind of scary. I was bracing for cringe. Um, By the end of that episode, you see her kind of brushing her hair out of her eyes, symbolizing that character development as she makes the decision to return to school, which she's been avoiding since Koito killed herself, and ultimately again comes out of her shell. And then you see that kind of played in again when she goes to crack one of the last eggs and it's actually herself from a parallel universe. So I guess the parallel universe I ended up killing herself because she never met Koito or never had a friend like Koito. And we see, I mean, that that's like a stark contrast of like I from the beginning of the show to I by the end of the show, where, you know, the parallel universe I that killed herself is really the I that we saw in the beginning. She didn't have the life, you know, she didn't live her life in order to grow and, and, and develop and kind of blossom as a person. So she's very shy still. She's uncertain. And you have the the new I, or I guess our version of I, who's like, I've grown. She even says like, see, look how much I've changed. Look how brave I am now. You can do this too. So seeing them next to each other shows us exactly again how I's character has developed from this quiet, shy, not so confident girl to someone who is willing to risk her life to save others. I will say the the whole plot point with I around her kind of having feelings for her teacher who has feelings for her mom was weird and to me seemed a little unnecessary. Um, I, I figured they were going to put that in there as like a plot piece to kind of add some complexity to I or to throw, you know, kind of a, a challenge in her story, some some hurdle she needs to overcome. And like they kind of did that, but to me it wasn't fully flushed out. And I would have almost rather they did not add that piece of it that I has feelings for her teacher and rather just show us that her teacher has feelings for her mom and that, you know, I has struggles with kind of accepting this new person as what would be her stepfather. To me, it was like, what was the point of that? Um, it kind of just dampened I's character a little bit for me because the whole thing was weird. Like it was just weird. <laughs> so it kind of made me think back to her relationship with Koito. It's like, did she harbor weird feelings for Koito? Because Koito was like, I don't know feeling up on her teacher, hugging her teacher, flirting with her teacher, having paintings done by her teacher, yet I loved her teacher in this weird way. Um, it's just also strange because this guy's probably going to marry her mom and then like she's going to have feelings for him and that's just going to be weird in the future, which is kind of what we saw a little bit of in the Aka Uraka, I guess, arc or uh, backstory episode where the niece loved the uncle or some shit and I was like, okay, this is weird. I don't get why this needs to be part of it, but maybe there's something deeper that I'm not understanding. Then we have Rika, who I I admittedly think is my favorite character out of the main characters because she's just a very complex individual. Um, first off, the cutting. Oh my God. Like on the outside, Rika is very outgoing and a bit brash, um, but it's like this wall that she's put up to hide her vulnerabilities and her flaws. And then she kind of, I don't know, kind of releases that pent up, you know, those pent up feelings um, by, you know, going through self-harm. So she's, uh, she had a spoiled upbringing, right? Based on what she claimed was her father teaching her that pretty girls shouldn't have to pay for things and coming from a divorced household. Although we find out later in her, like her specific episode where it's her birthday that she doesn't actually know who her real dad is. And apparently her mom doesn't either. And her mom resents her for being born because now she can't live the single life. And they own and live in this small bar and her mom's had a lot of boyfriends and drinks a lot. Like that's that's a really rough upbringing. And Rika kind of hinted at things earlier on. Like I think one of the earlier episodes before we got this backstory episode. I may I may be getting that time or the the order of things wrong here. But Rika says that you know she comments on someone having a, a live-in boyfriend. She says that live-in boyfriends sexually abuse girls. 
um, and physically abuse boys. And I'm like, is she speaking from experience? So even though she acts the most immature, she actually has probably the most mature mentality of the girls, at least more so than she lets on because she's seen some shit at a, at a young age. So I, I don't know if you'd call it mature in the sense of like she's responsible because that's more Nehru, right? But I would call it mature in just the sense of like the, the dark side of, of the way adults view things or, or the things that adults have seen or the way the world is, right? Like that's the kind of mature mentality that Rika has, or maybe mentality is not the right word, but just this mature outlook on life because of the things that she's gone through. And specifically in that birthday episode, when she cuts herself, like, oh my God, that scene was hard to watch. Even though we don't actually see her slicing her arm, they they show us, you know, the the blade held to her skin and she kind of braces for the pain. And then she even recalls her turtle, Mannen, so that you know, that turtle doesn't see her do what she's about to do. And it's incredibly sad. Like it just to me was a major gut punch in the feels. And later she says that she'll cut so she can feel in control or or something or kind of feel any sort of emotions, um, but that she also still wants to live. And so I don't know, I think, I think the combination of Rika's really complex backstory with the the level of visuals that we get here for her compared to some of the other main character girls is like, I mean, they dove deep with Rika and what she's going through. She really has this facade of someone who's cool, confident, fun, carefree, and has a complete opposite situation at home and in private. And I'll talk about animation a little bit more um, later on in this review, but props to the animators for the way that they animated that cutting scene. Again, you don't see anything but the way you see the blade kind of press against the skin and the way they animated her face bracing for the pain was just like almost too real. And that's something that that's really kind of played out throughout the show. And one of the things that impressed me the most is how real but unusual this show is. And I'll talk about that a little bit more as well. The last thing I want to comment on with Rika is that I, I don't remember what episode it was, but there's a moment where the girls are kind of, I think they're in the garden where Akka and Uraka are at and they're kind of talking about everything that's kind of unfolding with this mystery behind the wonder eggs. And Rika plays the bad guy and questions why they should continue with the eggs when they've all finally become friends and they're putting themselves at risk for people who chose death. And I'm like, this is again why Rika is very intriguing to me because of her mature view on the world and her being unafraid to just kind of put things out there, like say it as it is. She also questions if these girls even want to be brought back. Like they, again, they chose death. Not that that's right, not that that's okay, but that's the path that they chose. Do they even want this? Do they even want to be brought back into a world that they felt hurt them so bad that they didn't want to be in it anymore? And she also kind of mentions like, yes, they the girls feel guilty about their... I don't know what you call them, like their best friends, not their best friends, death, but the the girls that they're trying to save, right? The the eight girls that they're ultimately trying to save, you know, they feel guilty about their deaths, but are they necessarily responsible? For example, I probably wasn't responsible for Koito's death, but maybe Rika was, you know, responsible for, Ch for Chiemi's death at the end. So it kind of just depends on the story because each of the stories really is very different. Um, but so far, I mean... It seems like, you know, by that point in the show anyway, it seemed like there was some connection between the girls and the suicides of their friends. And that kind of got played out, or not played out, but um, was more like clarified as the show went on to a certain degree. There are still some mysteries that I have, some things that I think would have been better off if they were not spoon-fed to us more, but just slightly more clarified with how you know how these these suicides came to be and the connection or the level of responsibility that these main characters had in those suicides happening then there's momo who um, we get introduced to i believe last out of the girls and i i'm struggling a little bit to remember the order of events because it has been like three months since the the main part of the show wrapped up um for anyone who's not familiar the first 12 episodes um, of Wonder Egg Priority premiered, but they had to have a recap episode in the middle of it. So they had to make, um, they had to push their schedule back by like one week. Therefore, they had to make the Wonder Egg Priority special episode three months later to actually finish up the story. I'll touch on that a little bit more as well when we talk about the production issues that occurred. But as for Momo, we get introduced to her and her story is that she's troubled by 
her struggles with her sexuality. So she looks more male, but identifies and wants to be more female or feminine. But oftentimes people mistake her for being a boy. As she rescues you know, these egg girls, I just call them egg girls. I don't know what, what, what the best term is for them. Maidens, I think people, people call them maidens. I call them egg girls. But as she's rescuing these egg girls, each one of them falls in love with her, similar to how her close friend fell in love with her before she committed suicide. And there's one episode in particular that really struck me with Momo, and that's the episode where she saves someone who's transgender but was raped and got pregnant. And through this adventure with this girl, you know, trying to save her, Momo seems to gain confidence to embrace her feminine side, realizing that everyone's feminine side is different. I believe the girl's name was Kaoru, uh, but Kaoru was super feminine to the point where even trying to appear like a boy on the outside wasn't enough. That wasn't enough to stop what happened to her. But then you have Momo who looks a bit more masculine and still struggles with trying to be understood as a girl and not mistaken for a boy. So I think through seeing an opposite situation, she starts to kind of say, okay, I can do this. I can be the person that I ultimately want to be. And through my friendship, especially with I, who says, you know, you're such a cute girl. Oh my God, you're so pretty. You know, she, she, can, she can feel comfortable in her own skin and find that level of gender identity that I think she's looking for, striking that perfect balance that's right for her. With Nehru, I would say she is the most mysterious character only because we didn't find out a lot about her until the very end of the show. She ultimately is revealed to be, I believe, an AI. And um, I guess that makes sense considering what she explained as like her, how she was created and the fact that she doesn't know her parents, that she's part of the Japan Plati, whatever you call it. And I was just kind of confused by the whole thing. But um, she is a character who is really level-headed, um, thinks straight all the time, but has uh, a lot that she's tackling as well. Her sister, her younger sister, I believe, was jealous of her in some way, shape, or form, and then attacked her by stabbing her all the way down her spine. And after that, her little sister jumped off a bridge and killed herself. So with Nehru's situation, it's slightly different than the other girls because there was no special connection between her and her sister. I mean, maybe there was, when they were younger, but they really didn't dive into it enough, especially even in the the special episode, for us to fully understand the extent of their relationship. So all we can assume at this point is that her and her little sister didn't have a very close relationship. There was some sort of bad blood there, and that's what led to her little sister attacking her and then killing herself. So she wants to save somebody who didn't care about her. She wants to save somebody who wanted her to die, and I just find that to be very interesting. However, Maybe it went over my head because I was so just distraught by the whole special episode. But I feel like even in the special episode, they still didn't clarify why it is that Nehru wanted to save her sister despite all of that stuff that she did to her. And when it's finally revealed that Nehru's actually an AI, um, I, to me, it didn't make me feel any less of her. It was just a bit conflicting because all we knew about AI up until this point had to do with Frill and Frill's fucking crazy and evil and sadistic and twisted. I think this shows that not all AI will end up that way because Nehru is obviously a kind-hearted person, kind enough to want to save her little sister that stabbed her. But it's just kind of weird that we get a lot, a decent amount of information about Frill and her being an AI and how kind of her thought process went askew. But we don't get enough about Nehru and, and her being an AI and how she overcame any any potential for her to become I don't know, evil like Frill did and how she kind of went on this path to be the CEO of a company and to ultimately make these friends and want to save her sister and, and save the eight girls. Like I just, I would have loved to dive into that more if, you know, there was more time to do so in this show. Each of these main characters has a different setting in which they fight, which is um, tied directly to the friend or the special person that they lost. So for example, you have I who fights in a school, which is where her friend was bullied and abused and where she killed herself. You have Momo, who fights at a train station or like a platform. And this, I believe, is where her friend jumped and killed herself. She jumped in front of a train um, and committed suicide. Rika fights in a flower field, which I I don't entirely know the connection there. Um, I know Chiemi had anorexia and ultimately died from that. 
but I'm not quite recalling why there was a special connection with Chiemi being in a flower field. And then Nehru fights on a bridge, which we find out later on, that that's where her sister jumped and committed suicide that way. But the whole thing kind of has this concept of like purgatory, where these eight girls committed suicide um, because they were lost and alone. And to find peace and make it to the other side, these main characters need to help them overcome those struggles. But it has to happen in this purgatory-like state where you know, the the abuse happened or the suicide happened or something traumatic happened because they're still stuck in that point of time and they need that help to kind of finally move on. On top of the locations for each of the girls, the types of egg girls that they end up meeting and saving also seem relatable to those those main characters. So for I, she usually ends up with girls who don't fit in, who feel very isolated, who feel very alone, similar to herself. Rika had um, fans of idols. She she had, I think, the two girls who killed themselves because their idol committed suicide, and Rika was an idol. And then Momo has girls who ultimately fall in love with her because that's what happened with her and her friend. And then Nehru has, I don't know, I mean, her sister was jealous or some shit, so, like, I think there was the one chick that, that we saw her save where, like, she was jealous of the beauty of other people and didn't want to age. So she killed herself while she was still young and gorgeous and, and at her peak. I don't know, because we didn't really get a lot of poor Nehru's fights. Again, like I feel like Nehru got snuffed um, throughout this show. And I don't know if that's an, uh, intentional because there was such a big reveal about her character at the end of the show. And because she's got connections to the Japan Plotty and, and Aka and Uraka. I don't know. I just wish we would have gotten a little more screen time for Nehru to see the types of girls that she was saving and to understand her backstory a little bit more. And then on top of all that, the girls get their creatures, their egg creatures, um, who feed on the haters, you know, haters in the building. And I think each of those is somewhat connected to the girls. I don't know. I don't understand the connections very well. This is just, just some of the things that I've picked up on through some some light reading um, about some of the the metaphors and the the plot pieces in this show. But I has the chameleon Leon. Leon? Leon? Le- I don't know how you say it. Like, like a chameleon Leon? <laughs> but she prefers to blend in with, with her surroundings and hide, like hiding her, her face behind her hair, similar to a chameleon who can kind of blend in with their surroundings. Rika has a turtle, Mannen, symbolizing her having this tough exterior to hide the pain that she's going through on the inside. Nehru has a snake, Pinky, and I don't know the connection here. I was like, is she snake-like in her personality and behaviors? Is she ultimately going to be the bad guy? Who knows? But I think maybe, this is like shot in the dark guess here, but my assumption is that the snake represents the fact that she kind of, I don't know if you'd call it lied or misled anybody, but she was ultimately an AI, but no one really knew about that. And she had connections to, again, Aka and Uraka, but no one really knew about that until later on. Like she's not always upfront and honest about some of these pieces. And then Momo has a crocodile named Panic. And truthfully, I don't know the connection between her character and a crocodile. I assume she named it Panic because she tends to be the one who panics a little bit more than the other girls. She's a little more nervous and just kind of has these struggles and, and almost has these moments of panic when she's trying to kind of figure out her identity. So that is my best guess. (laughs) I do also want to call out Aka and Uraka because we have that episode where we pretty much get all of their backstory and it was not what I was expecting, similar to everything in this show. Um, But there's not a lot of other context around these guys other than that particular episode, which I think was episode 11. And it, it was important though because that kind of ties in all of the mysterious pieces that we've been getting, right? Like this explains the majority of what the fuck is going on in this show. How they created the wonder eggs to try and prevent girls from killing themselves because of the girl that they created, the AI they created, Frill, and then she created her weirdo friends. Shout out to Hyphen, Dot, and Kirara Rodriguez, Machard, the 18th, Evening Star, SS Platinum. Honestly, I would have loved to have seen more of Aka and Uraka. I find their... Their friendship or relationship was was really interesting. Um, they're two guys who were very close and lived together and, and um, were close enough where, well, they fell in love with the same girl in the start, but they remained friends. And then 
the one guy, I can't remember who it was, but the one had a daughter and the daughter saw the other as her uncle. And I just, you know, there's a special bond between the two of them. And they both carry the weight of the responsibility of everything that, that they did with creating Frill and what she's doing to these girls. But just that whole episode 11 about these two guys was just incredible to me. Like the the storytelling that happened in that episode was just spot on. The animation was fucking amazing. It was dark. It was creepy. It was weird. Just very opposite of everything that we had seen in this show up until that point because the animation was always beautiful and bright and lovely. And man, just seeing the backstory and be, be kind of laid out for us in this way was a smart choice, in my opinion, for the writers. And I think the coolest thing about that episode was just the the level of emotional impact. Seeing those guys struggle with Frill going from like wanting to care for this 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 thing that they created um, to it betraying them and, and having mad jealousy to, you know, throwing her in a dark place and saying like, oh my God, I, you know, you, you hurt me. It hurts. Like, don't put me in the dark place. And they're like, how can you even feel pain? These are just inputs. You're just an AI. It was just a wild, wild ride. And the lip pop thing that they added to, to kind of, you know, signify that Frill is still here. That was a really cool piece as well. But let's talk more about the story and the plot because I would say of all the, the the pieces of the puzzle that made this show great to me, for the most part, you know, little asterisk there, great up until the very end, um, the story. I mean, that that's what really blew me away. I mean, what a crazy concept rooted in some incredibly heavy themes such as bullying and suicide. Like this show tackled some very intense and, and heavy pieces and packaged it in a brightly colored, pretty box. The animation, as I mentioned earlier, is beautiful with bright colors. The music is super unique and, and bubbly most of the time. And the girls are just incredibly cute and sweet and, and endearing. And then you can you contrast that, you know, those, those animation pieces, the visuals, the music, the characters, with the actual plot and overall themes and, and the writing, to me, was a very brave and courageous combination. Like, truthfully, I didn't think it was possible for an anime that looks and feels the way that it does to be so intense and so deep. And the range of issues among young girls that they tackled through this story was crazy. You've got, and these are just some of the highlights, but you've got, you know, the, the first girl who was bullied by her coach to be more in shape, to be more fit. She never felt good enough to win. You have the super fans, again, who killed themselves because their idol committed suicide. They come right out of the gate with Momo's first episode with the whole molester situation. And it's even harder to deal with because her parents knew about it and her dad got fired when she tried to defend herself. And, you know, it's these these heavy, heavy themes are not easy to navigate, I'm sure, when you're when you're writing a story like this. And I'm not speaking from experience because I'm not creative enough to ever write something like this. But I with my limited knowledge, I'm so impressed and so blown away at how they did this. And I think the most important thing that really made it work is that this show is not afraid to make the viewer uncomfortable and, and to almost force the viewer to get a sense of what that particular A girl had to go through or what that particular main character had to go through. They weren't afraid to be open and blatant about these issues, which are normally taboo or normally people are scared to talk about them. And they just laid it all out there. They they didn't go into gory details. They didn't cross you know too far over that line where it was off-putting. They gave you just enough context, just enough um, amount of details to make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel sympathetic and, and empathetic towards these girls and what they've been through. I also loved and appreciated that we start to see the girls who are being rescued, the A girls, fight back as well. Um, and it's not until they do so that the main characters are able to win and save them. So it's important for the main characters to overcome their own fears and issues as they're saving these A-girls. But it's equally important for the A-girls to do their own, you know, pull their own weight as well. Otherwise, they can never really be saved. There was also that quick moment. I believe it was when Rika was talking to Akka and Uraka. Um, where they, they specify why it's just girl suicides that they're tackling in this story. Maybe not like, you know, that meta, 
But they do mention, uh, Aka and Uraka mentioned that boys' suicides are different than girls' suicides, saying that boys are goal-driven and girls are emotionally driven. And I don't know how, you know, how accurate that is um, in the real world, but I just thought that was a very interesting piece that they dropped in there to say, it's not just girls that go through these struggles, it's boys as well. But of course, in this story, we're just kind of taking a look at things from the girls' perspectives. For the visuals and the music and soundtrack, um, I've touched on the the animation quite a bit here, but I still do kind of want to reiterate some of these points. But first and foremost, the OP and the ED. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. The OP is well actually it's kind of interesting that the op and the ed style wise are kind of flip-flopped from what you mostly see in anime where the op is like the bright loud opening and the ending is more like subdued and a little more mellow here it's the opposite and i don't know what it is about both of these songs but they are just the perfect fit for this show the op is very slow it kind of builds as the song progresses and the visuals are just the girls and their their everyday activities, um, just kind of living their lives. But it just, it, the song has this kind of like creepy but beautiful element to it that just plays into the show so well, especially when it starts off with those key, uh, the, the piano keys in the very beginning. And then the ED is just like bright and bubbly and amazing, which just, which fits with the whole visual piece of this show. And it's a banger. It's an absolute banger. It's on my Spotify playlist. I love listening to it. And the the choice of having just pictures scroll up on the screen along with the credits was nice because you got to see little snippets of these girls in their own lives, their backstories, them with their friends that they lost, they're trying to save. And I thought it was a very nice touch. And the music and soundtrack overall were just great. Like it was so good. It had such a great range. Again, from like the bubbly bright songs to some of the very eerie and creepy music that we got again especially in episode 11 or after you know Frill's whole story was introduced and everything we saw after that specifically with the brighter music it it wasn't even your typical like bubbly anime music it had like just it was so unique like every song that came on was incredibly different incredibly unique but fit that scene so well like even though everything was very different it all blended together nicely into one complete soundtrack and it's probably a soundtrack that i would be interested listening to you know after the fact and real quick again for the animation you're gonna probably hear me talk about this a bit more but animation was just stunning 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 and I feel like because the animation is based on a lot of realism in the movements and actions, that kind of really drove it home and helped to kind of play into those pieces where we as the viewer feel uncomfortable because things look so real. They very much want this to hit um, on that level of believability and relatability in terms of, again, just like the the real life things. Obviously, this is a very over-the-top show at certain points that you know, things happen that would never happen in real life. But the things that would and, and do happen in real life, um, I think having that very realistic animation, those incredibly detailed and incredibly realistic backgrounds and and still shots, I mean, all of that just played into the the uncomfortableness that you feel watching the show because it just seems so real and so connected. And if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that I hate rotoscoping. It just seems weird to me. And every time I see it, I just think of Just Dance. However, there are some scenes in here that I actually like am not sure if they're rotoscoped. Um, I should probably look this up. But I feel like either the level of animation is so seamless and fluid that it looks almost rotoscoped, like movie level animation quality every episode, or it actually was rotoscoped. And they did such an incredible job of kind of blending the rotoscoping with the sakuga with the animation that it didn't look like a fucking Just Dance video game. And if it's the latter, I have to say this anime may single-handedly change my mind about the potential of rotoscoping. I mean, there's some shit out there that's like real bad. Like, I think most recently with the Attack on Titan season four stuff, some of the earlier episodes, there was some rotoscoping in there that just like ripped me out of the immersion. I just could not deal. I was like, oh my God, this scene looks terrible because of this rotoscoping. But whatever it is that they did in Wonder Egg Priority that 
again, was like borderline rotoscoping, but like just fluid, amazing movie level animation. Like that was just so impressive. And I'd love to see more of that with the caveat that there were some major production issues that happened because of the level of detail they needed to put into this show. So I say that I would love more of that with the condition of knowing that the animators and the production staff have the adequate time and resources they need to do that without crunching everything and going on crunch time and, and not being able to just like, you know, live like normal human beings. Which, speaking of production issues, um, is something that I did want to briefly touch on. I don't know the full story about what happened here um, with Wonder Egg Priority. I just know as the viewer, I I felt that shit. Like, there were, there were some things that were very obviously wrong, and it all stemmed back to those production issues. First off, damn, a recap episode in a 12-episode series. Again, if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that I also hate recap episodes because in an age of streaming, to me, there is no need for recap episodes because I can just go back and rewatch shit. Or I can go on Google and find a synopsis or a summary. I don't need recap episodes. Um, however, I think in this situation, a recap episode was planted in the middle of the show because there were some production issues, as I understand it, and that caused a delay on that week's episode. So they filled that time with a recap episode. However, because they were taking one of their weeks as a recap episode, they ultimately could not finish the show in the 12 weeks that they had um, kind of secured for Wonder Egg Priority, which is why they decided three months out to do a special episode, which actually ends the show. And I think, and I don't want to talk about this too in depth because truthfully, like what I was reading was just speculation and I don't know what was actually going on, but high level, just kind of really quickly in case you're curious of what I was reading, apparently this was due to some sort of scheduling issues for Cloverworks. I think they were also working on Hodimiya and Promise Neverland during this time. And even Promise Neverland had a five episode recap, which was just like major red flags. Um, again, I'm not sure how how confirmed that is. It's just some of the things that I was seeing. But the show suffered for it. The show definitely suffered for um, because of all these production issues. Not to the point, now special episode aside, and we'll talk about that in a second, but not to the point where like the show was like greatly... Um, drastically changed or, or drastically, you know, kind of um, diminished because of it. But it's like the little things, right? Like there's a stark contrast in animation quality be between episodes 11 and 12. As I mentioned, episode 11 was well-written, was very eerie and just looked amazing. It was one of the best episodes in terms of animation quality for this entire show. And then you had episode 12, which definitely took a dip. Don't get me wrong, episode 12 still looked amazing, but seeing those two episodes back to back made it more obvious that there were some production issues that happened in episode 12 where you were not getting the same um, you know, animation quality that you did in the previous episode. And then on top of that, you know, Wonder Egg was to me well written up until the end. Um, again, it's still, okay, special episode aside again, because that, that's a whole different story. But for the first 12 episodes, everything was well written and seemed to come together very well. But there were some messy pieces um, towards the end that, you know, I, I picked up on. I, I saw that. And I think that was also due to these production issues. And really, this is not the first time that we're seeing this. Um, it's it's an ongoing issue in the anime industry, in the animation industry, I believe. And again, I can't speak too much of it because I'm not an animator. I'm not in the industry. But just as a casual fan, I see these things pop up. I see people comment about it on Twitter or discussions being had on Reddit or as a viewer, I see a, a dip in animation quality or the storytelling suddenly become very sloppy because of these production issues. So that that's a conversation for, you know, another day. I'm sure we could do an entire podcast episode on the state of the anime industry and production and, and all of this stuff and, and the, the issues that it's causing for the animators and the staff and the writers. Um, but uh, yeah, that could be something we talk about in the future, but not for this podcast episode. And finally... Big sigh, the special episode. Um, again, these takes are hot off the presses. I watched this just a little bit ago and holy shit, what the hell? I wanted to save this for the end because I feel like I need to treat this special episode separate from the 12 main episodes of the show 
because it's just like night and day between the two. Um, first off, did they just give up? Like, was this really the ending that the creator wanted? Will we ever really get to see the true ending as intended? Because again, this is an original anime and we don't have a manga or a light novel to fall back on. So it's like there was something just here that didn't get delivered at the end of the day. And to be blatant, I'm just sad and disappointed. Again, to me, this show was really something special. I was thoroughly impressed by the first 12 episodes. Again, even if things got a little messy towards the end because of those production issues. But this ending, this special episode, was just so bad. Like, the show was beautiful and it tackled some of the heaviest themes I've seen in anime in such an unusual but impressive way with, again, those stunning animations, the colors, the voice acting, the storytelling, the music, even the use of flower language. And it all went to waste in the end. Like, don't get me wrong, I appreciate this show and I will forever. And I still love it overall. But this ending certainly soured some of that magic for me. I'll touch on production issues one more time really quick here because it kind of relates to some of the other things that we've seen. But to me, like that, that was like that was the, the the problem, right? The root cause of all of this was the production issues and the heavy expectations on the staff and the show suffered because of it. And again, this is a perfect example, along with another recent major bomb where a show had an incredible first season and then a horrible second season during winter 2021 where the team just basically gave up. And if you listen to our podcast episode, you'll know specifically what show I'm referring to, but I kind of want to avoid mentioning the title here in this episode to, to avoid spoilers for anyone who actually hasn't seen the show. Um, but anyway, uh, you could still tell there were some some animation issues um, with this special episode. And I, honestly, it probably had some of the worst animation out of the series. I would say specifically um, in the special episode section of this special episode. <laughs> so let me take a step back. What I'm what I'm referring to is the fact that this special episode was about 46 or so minutes long, but the first 20-ish minutes were actually a recap of the show. Again, why? I don't know. But um and the the latter half was the actual special episode. Like there was a, a clear transition um where the title card, like a little title note came up, I guess, um with the episode special episode title. So anyway, the the special episode piece, the latter half of this 46-minute episode, um, probably had some of the worst animation out of the series, specifically when some of those earlier scenes, like when Ai's running away down the hall, like she's not even really running. She's kind of like bobbing back and forth. <laughs> and it still looked beautiful overall, but... You know, when you watch the recap part of this episode with the gorgeous, stunning animation for 20 minutes, and then you go into this rougher animation for the last half, the last 20, 25 minutes, the difference is really amplified. So I don't want to knock on the animation totally because I'm sure, again, it's like maybe poor scheduling or uh, production issues. It still looked great overall, but like not great <laughs> at the same time. But really, I think the biggest crime, my biggest beef with this special episode and the way the show ended is that the story resolution is just upsetting. Or can you even say that there's any re resolution to the story? I don't know. Like, did anyone even get a happy ending? And I'm going to have a hard time running through these these notes that I've written down because I, I do, I do want to preface this by saying, again... I love this show. I think the writing is beautiful. Like props to the creator or creators. I'm not sure if it's one person or if it's multiple people, but props to them and the staff and everything for making a just an all around special show. And I hate to knock on the way the ending was written um, because I like a lot of people have like this gut feeling that this is not the ending that the creator intended that they wanted maybe something different um but just with all the issues that came with the production um, schedule and everything that they they didn't get to make the ending they wanted to or maybe they didn't have enough time to fully write everything out the way they wanted to or maybe a 20 25 minute episode was not enough time to end it but um you know i, I still have to just be honest about kind of the way things did unfold in this special episode but yeah, it's just like, it's hard to talk about it and kind of bash on it when, you know, I don't want it to seem like everything else that they did, everything else about the way it was written, um, you know, wasn't good. Like it was all, it was all great up until this point. So let's just run through these characters, right? You've got I, the main character who ends up just transferring schools and, and grows distant from her friends. 
um, she found out that Koito was kind of a fake friend and that, um, you know, she tried to ruin her teacher's life. Um, she at least decided in the end to try and save Nehru, so so that was good. For Momo, she decided to no longer fight for the egg girls because she didn't want to get hurt, um, meaning she remains badly scarred by what happened to her and um, panic because she, she can't bring herself to want to risk her life for anybody. She, doesn't, she can't bring herself to go through that situation all over again. Rika does want to continue fighting for the eight girls, but actually ends up disappointed finding out that Nehru wasn't a human all along, and she decides to not even try fighting for her. So like Momo, she's still scarred by everything that happened after she completed her mission, but you know is still wanting to try and, and do the, the right thing, but is just so off-put by Nehru that she just disregards the friendship that they had. And the last thing we see is her crying with Ai about how she misses Manan, how she misses Chiemi. And then there's Nehru who saves her sister who doesn't even appreciate her and, and tries to remove her existence. And then she decides not to go back to her world and is approached by Frill who offers her a way to become human. So she's left all alone with Frill with most of her friends not even wanting to save her. Aka and Uraka aren't able to fulfill their mission of saving the world from Frill and they even lose Nehru to Frill in the end. Um, Frill and her friends are continuing the same path, probably pushing girls to suicide. And all we get at the end is Oto Ai is back as if this is like a good thing that she's returned to the fray to save these egg girls. This is actually pretty heavy because the vicious cycle is continuing. Not only will girls continue to kill themselves because Aka and Uraka failed to save them from Frill, but now I will have to continue to risk her life to save those other girls as well as Nehru. And then to top that all off, like the girls that the main characters fought so hard to save actually do come back to life but have no recollection of their friendships. So like the main characters at least save these lives, but they don't get to keep the memories and, and they don't get to keep the things that they cherish. I mean, even the, the pictures that um, I had of her and Koizo are gone from her phone. And like, I guess I understand what they're trying to explain that like the girls aren't truly the same girls because they come from parallel worlds. But then what happens like to their friends and family from those parallel worlds where they're suddenly, you know, gone, you know, in those parallel worlds, are their friends and family panicking because they're like, oh, my God, they've disappeared. We can't find them. And really, the whole thing is confusing. Like, how do you take a dead girl's parallel self and then put her back into the world where she died and not have everyone be like, holy shit, how are you alive again? I mean, for example, Rika and I reacted surprised when Kotobuki like popped up in Nehru's apartment. They were like, oh shit, how are you here? You were dead before, like in a vegetative state. And and yet you're here in her apartment. So why are not why are other people not having that same reaction when Koito is suddenly back in the school after everyone knows she killed herself by jumping off the roof? It just like doesn't it doesn't quite add up. And I'm like, I'm just not convinced that this is truly the ending that the writer wanted. Or if this is the ending, I feel like with the the right amount of time or the appropriate amount of time and a better production schedule, it could have been explained to us better it could have been written much better so that we can accept these really strange you know decisions um, for how to end the show but with the way that it was you know it was all done I just I can't I can't accept it it, it just like sucks to sit through that after watching a, a fantastic you know first 12 episodes and I mean, all in all, you know an ending is bad when the first thing you think after watching it is, wait, that was it? That was it? <laughs> and that was my reaction. So really, to sum up my review on this special episode, I'll leave you with the words of Oto Ai. Now I'm really mad. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, so bummed about it. But it is what it is. And I guess it's time to, to move on. So final thoughts, my final thoughts about Wonder Egg Priority. Um, I don't often give my my rating out of 10 when I do these solo podcast episodes. Um, I usually like to do that with, with Carl so we can kind of talk through our specific ratings and compare and contrast. But I do want to, you know, kind of lay out my ratings for Wonder Egg Priority. Um, on my anime list, I gave the first 12 episodes of Wonder Egg Priority a 9 out of 10. It wasn't perfect. Again, there were things that were messy and things that suffered based on the production issues. But overall, it just was an amazing show. Like I, I've already said this multiple times and like I'll keep saying it. It just was so well done and it tackled some things that just 
are not easy to tackle. And I give mad props to the creator for doing what they did. Um, however, because my anime list splits up seasons or sometimes like special episodes and OVAs and whatnot, I was able to rate the special episodes separately from the first 12 episodes. And for this special episode, I ultimately gave it a 4 out of 10, which they list as bad because honestly, it just was bad. Um, I couldn't I couldn't fully give it a 5, which they list as average because it wasn't average. It was definitely worse than average. Um, I just, I think that this was a big flop. The special, sorry, the special episode was a big flop. So if we're looking at a nine for the first 12 episodes and a four for the special episode, I mean, I almost don't want to rate the show as a whole because I, I just want to treat this special episode as something separate from everything else. But I guess if, if you were to force me to combine them and give an overall rating for the show, oh man, I would probably give it like a 6.5 to 7. I, I want to lean more towards a 7, but I feel like I'm burned so bad by the special episode that I want to give it a 6.5. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, take it for, for what it is. But I, I stick firmly by my 9 for the first 12 episodes of Wonder Egg Priority. And that's that. That's my review. Um, I would still recommend this show to somebody um, looking for anime recommendations who's looking for a lot of feels and a lot of just like what the fuck moments with the strong caveat that you either should not watch the special episode or just take the special episode for what it is separate from the rest of the show. But I hope you enjoyed Wonder Egg Priority for the most part, as much as I did, at least in the, the first 12 episodes, because again, I think that this is still a very special show tackling some themes that don't get enough dialogue, don't get enough attention, but are very real and very present um, and, and things that, you know, we should really try to, I'm not going to get all like philosophical here, but like things that we should be more open about so that people can get the help that they need. And I'm not an expert or anything. I, I, I don't know much about resources and all of that, but if you are kind of going through anything right now, certainly get the help that you need. There are people out there who want to help you that will help you. Um, and you know, you are not alone in this because this, this is a, a heavy show um, that is uh, not afraid to really just say it like it is. And it can be tough to watch at times. Um, so if, if you feel anything or are uncertain about anything as you watch Wonder Egg Priority or even outside of that, just in, in life in general, definitely seek help. And that wraps up episode 42 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.